Hi, I'm Edwin. And I'm Andrew. Two men. Fifteen minutes. Eternal impact. Welcome to Text Talk. His glory I will see. I will empty hey, Andrew. Hello there, Edwin. Psalm 11. Foundations. Well, I tell you what, you got a big old stack of Bibles right here. Which one are you going to read today? today? Today I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. I think now it's just called the Christian Standard Bible, but this, this version's a little bit older. But the CSB, CSB. Psalm B. 11. All and right. I want to talk about the third foundation that David yeah, is we've not been talking, destroy. Yeah, we've been talking about foundations. The, the third foundation that David is neither going to destroy, uh, but, but still stands no matter what his counselors think. So here we are, Psalm 11, CSB. I have taken refuge in the Lord. How can you say to me, escape to the mountain like a bird? For look, the wicked string the bow. They put the arrow on the bowstring to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes watch. He examines everyone. The Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. He hates the lover of violence. He will rain burning coals and sulfur on the wicked. A scorching wind will be their portion. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright will see his face. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The Lord is righteous. That's the third foundation that I think we need to recognize that David is saying, again, just remembering what we've seen or, or talked about earlier in the week, we've got this potential that that David himself has pointed out that if he abandons the foundations, mm-hmm. then, then what's left for the righteous to do? Or if some of the other translators' choice is correct, you've got these counselors, maybe even his own internal arguing, saying, ah, the foundations are destroyed. What, what can I do next? But what he gets back to is the defense of the foundations. The foundations are not destroyed, and David is not going to destroy them. And we've seen two of them already. We, we've gotten to talk about the fact that the Lord is in heaven and he sees. Mm-hmm. He's got a better perspective, so I'm going to trust mm-hmm. him. I'm going to take my refuge in him. We, we've talked about the fact, though, that he tests yeah. and what a shocking foundation that was. So there's a foundation that as we're going through all this junk in this life, I know that the Lord is testing and proving me. And one of the ways he does that is through the crucible. So as we begin to drill down on this, the Lord loves the righteous, or excuse me, the Lord is righteous. Can, can I, I don't mean to throw you a curveball, but I was trying to listen. You know, each of these translations are just a little bit different. Yeah. Could you go over verse 5 again from that CSB? From the CSB. Yeah, because okay, so I, I did catch a difference in verse 7. What does your verse 5 say? Verse 5, and this one kind of follows the New American Standard that we had yesterday. The Lord examines the righteous and the wicked. Okay. So so the, like the New American Standard, it puts the righteous and the wicked under the testing okay, eye of God. About that. Okay. All right. He hates the lover of violence. Hates the lover so the Lord of examines the righteous and the wicked. He hates the lover of violence. Okay. All right. So was that different? What What's coming to your mind right now? Um. Well, uh, really, what it was is that the way verse seven read in that CSB, the Lord is righteous and He loves righteous deeds. Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that puts an emphasis to my mind on behavior and activities. Okay. With the, the New King James, He loves righteousness, which certainly, I mean, does not preclude at all deeds but righteousness also can be its own quality yeah just kind of an abstract noun righteousness correct in its abstract nature and more specific when you get to the deeds and and i wondered if you had a contrast there between 
deeds and activities also being emphasized in verse 5. Or just this idea of, uh, you know, the wicked, the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Well, the Lord is righteous, and so he likes things that mirror his image, that mirror his nature, that Mm -hmm. mirror his being as... As the righteous one, mm-hmm. he approves of, he loves, he is drawn to righteousness. Remember, he has created mankind in his image. image. And as image bearers, what every single one of us are supposed to be doing is glorifying God for who and what he is. Mm -hmm, Unfortunately, mm -hmm. we have all sinned. We've all turned away from that. And so we all distort the image of God. And when when we who are people who have distorted his mm-hmm. image mm-hmm. are coming back to what his image truly is, righteousness, holiness, he loves that. Mm-hmm. Now, for us as Christians, we recognize the only way for us to get back to that is through Jesus Christ. That's right. It's only by his death, burial, and resurrection, by his sanctification, by his propitiation and expiation on the cross. And justification. And justification. And by the power of the Spirit of God, Mm -hmm. can we be those people who pursue that righteousness that God truly loves? Declares us righteous. The other side of that, though, is the wicked. And as you mentioned a moment ago, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we have done wicked deeds. That's what sin is. Uh, perhaps our own um, emotions and values have not been those which would honor God. I guess I look at this passage here, particularly back in verse 5, and uh, it's uncomfortable to think foundationally about God's holiness and righteousness when I realize that I'm not always righteous. In fact, I'm, I'm even having trouble articulating it now, but what if I'm one of the wicked and what if I'm loving, uh, you know, evil or violence? Man, verse 5 says, the Lord, the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. God hates the wicked. God hates me apart from Christ. I mean, how do we, how do we understand that? Okay, so let me see if I'm picking up what you're putting down on this one. I, I, what I'm sensing is that, you know, a lot of mainstream Christian religious people, evangelicals, have have made a meal out of out of saying, hate the sin, love the sinner. Sure. And now we've got a psalm that says the Lord hates the sinner. The the wicked and the one who loves violence. Yeah. And what if that's me? What if that's me? So a couple of things there. Here's one of the things that I am really becoming more and more and more in tune with, and that is the name of Yahweh, Mm -hmm. especially as Yahweh himself explains what his name means. In fact, I'm kicking myself. I've been preaching for 25 years, a Christian for 35 years, and it just blows my mind that I have not picked up on how powerful the name of God, as he describes it in Exodus 34, really is. In Exodus 34, Moses wants to see the glory of God, and so God passes by him, covers him up in the cleft of the rock, and he declares his name. And he says, this is what my name means. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, Mm -hmm. okay, 
but who uh, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, forgiveness, yeah. but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the father on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And we see these two sides of his name, and we they seem to there seems to be a tension. And what what causes me a problem when I see that is I think, but 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 I am guilty. Mm-hmm. And he just said he will not clear the guilty. Mm-hmm. And so now that that's kind of the same question you're asking. Well, wait a minute. I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done unrighteousness. So does the Lord hate me? Yeah. So our struggle on this needs to be, to, or excuse me, our solution on this needs to be, well, how do the Bible writers view that name and how do they use that name and that definition? And what we find again and again and again and again as you walk through the Old Testament, seeing this name proclaimed and alluded to and referenced again and again, what we find out is that latter half of the name that, that we call the latter half, the visiting the iniquity on the children and the children's right. children to the third and fourth generations, is, is what happens to those who persist in guilt. Mm. To those who hang on to their guilt, to those who, when the refining fire puts them in the crucible, says, no, no, I want to hang on Mm -hmm. to this thing that is not of God. But I'm going to save myself. I'm going to go to the mountains. Forget God. I'm going to save myself. I'm going to go to the mountains. I've got this under control. I'm going to take for myself, which, by the way, I mean, it's the story over and over and over again. Right now, studying Joshua in one of our adult classes, and it's the story of Achan. The story of Achan, who knew that he was not supposed to take from those things devoted to destruction. Yeah, they were Under the ban, they're cursed. But he reaches out and he takes it anyway. Just like Eve reached out and took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know what God has said, but I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to go my own way instead. And what what God is saying is, look, if you're going to persist in that, I will not clear you. You, you will be judged. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the idea of this word hate. You remember Jesus even one time tells us that we need to hate our father and our mother. Right. All right. But in a parallel passage, it's you need to love me more than your father and mother, which demonstrates that this word hate is not always used in this absolute sense mm-hmm. of I despise and you're awful and it doesn't matter anything about you. It's that idea of relative um, relationship. And what he's pointing out is the folks who continue in wickedness, the, the folks who go through the testing and decide to pursue sin and hang on to that instead of being refined by the testing, they're the ones that are going to be judged. However, oh, go ahead. Which well, I, I was just going to say that as we navigate this, as we try to look at all the scripture says about these things, we, we don't need to come to a place that says, uh, but sin isn't so bad. Mm. Uh, the wickedness isn't so bad, mm-hmm. okay, that uh, we do need to appreciate how awful sin is, how contrary it is to God and to his nature, because that's what makes the cross so glorious. That's what makes a love that, that says it, it, the message is not sin isn't so bad. It is that bad. Thus, the cross, the propitiation, the magnification of the love of God who's willing to bring about a forgiveness of sins and a justification for those sins. 
Well, and that goes back to the other part of his name, that he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In fact, that part, that definition of his name, that proclamation of his name is so great that in order to make that true and to live by that name, he provided the propitiation, the sacrifice that would allow him to live in accord with that name. Because without the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, then all there is is the fact that we are guilty. And it, doesn't, it. and it doesn't matter how much we turn away from our guilt and try to pursue God. The, the only, he doesn't clear the guilty. And so in order to live by compassion and grace and love and faithfulness, he established a covenant through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And how powerful that is. Amen. He, here's, here's a great contrast Um, And we're about to have to wrap up, so we're not going to go to the passages, but just sometime take a look at Jonah and Nahum. Jonah is sent to Nineveh, yeah, and he doesn't want to go. Not at all. And he actually, he, he eventually explains why. Because he it's not, oh, I'm afraid I'm going to get over there and they're going to persecute me. Yeah. He's not afraid that he's going to go pronounce the judgment of God and the Ninevites are going to kill him. He's not worried about that at all. What he's worried about is that he's going to go proclaim the judgment of God and they're going to repent. Mm-hmm. Because he says this, and it's after they repent and God relents from the disaster, yeah. Jonah says, I knew it. Mm-hmm. I knew you'd do that. I knew that because I know you are a God who is merciful and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and you relent from disaster. Instead yeah. of saying forgiveness, he talks about relenting from disaster. He says, I knew what kind of God you are. You told Moses that, and I believed it. And I knew if I came and told these people about judgment, they'd repent and and, 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 and that was for a Gentile people. They weren't even, they weren't even Israelite the people. They weren't the covenant people. This is how strong that part of his name is, that when people mm-hmm. repent and seek him, he is seeking to save them and forgive them. That's how strong that side of the name is. Okay, now let's fast forward to Nahum, mm-hmm. a different time for Nineveh, when the judgment of the Lord is pronounced to them and in, they don't repent. Mm-hmm. And Nahum also calls on the name of God, but he highlights that not only is he forgiving and loving, but he will by no means clear the guilty. What's happening to Nineveh that time? At that time, they are not repenting. They are not turning. They are not seeking God. And so what do we learn about God? Those who do not, when the testing comes, who do not allow themselves to be refined by it, who do not pursue God and turn to him, he doesn't clear them. Mm-hmm. Rather, he hates that. Mm-hmm. And he judges that, which is what that hate is supposed to represent there, the judgment that is coming. These are powerful foundations that we can build our life upon and trust in the Lord. We're learning about them from Psalm 11. Hope you're enjoying the conversation. Let us know what uh, what you're discovering. Send us an email, texttalk at christiansmeethere.org, texttalk at christiansmeethere.org. Uh, appreciate so much your support for the podcast. Let's have a word of prayer. Edwin? Glorious God, we love you so very much, and we thank you for being the righteous God that you are who lives by your name, to love and forgive those who turn to you and seek you, but, Father, to refuse to clear the guilty, those who who keep you at arm's length, who push you away, who refuse to turn to you. And we are so sad for them and pray that, that they will determine to love you and turn to you. But, Father, if they don't, we know that you are glorified through the judgment that you extend. And we pray, Father that we will be people who seek you always. 
We love you so much. Thank you for loving us first. Through your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for talking about the text with us today. I'm Edwin Crozier, and I'd like to invite you to join the Christians Who Meet on Livingston Avenue this Sunday for our Bible classes and worship. You can find out more at christiansmeethere.org. Check out our daily written devotional that goes along with today's episode. You can find a link for it in our show notes. Michael Eldridge wrote and sang all four parts of our theme song. You can get more from him at acapeldridge.com. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast so others can learn about it more easily. Have a great day. 